0: Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of the PowerCast. So this week we have Frankie Finn with us and he is a um, entrepreneur, well-known speaker and he is on today to talk a bit about marketing and that side of things. But the reason I was really excited to have him on because like me, he doesn't just coach and focus on the strategic side, but he also has a really cool spiritual background as well. Uh, one of the things that says in his bio here is that he calls himself a shaman in his coaching and uses intuition and vibration to work with people on a different level. So I really love that. I'm excited to have him on today and find out more. Thanks for jumping on.
1: I'm so excited to connect with you, Ali. So let's have some fun today.
0: Yeah, awesome. So can you talk, I guess, first of all, about um, how long you've been in business and how you got into the entrepreneurial world?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I don't think I ever woke up one day and said, I want to be an entrepreneur. You know, when people ask you like five years old, what do you want to do? I wasn't like, I'm an entrepreneur.
0: Uh, <laughs> Probably couldn't have said the word at five, right? <laughs> exactly.
1: I mean, for me, it was like one of those things I, f- I feel like life kind of forced me into it. So I got into it around 2007 and I just moved back to my hometown of Windsor, Ontario, Canada, which is known as like, like the Canadian version of Detroit. So it has all four general motors and Chrysler. And if you guys remember, that was right around when the economy went to complete shit. And so the entire employment in my entire area was based off of this economy. And it went from like, they laid off like 40,000 people overnight, like, you know, 40% of the city was out of work. And so they were not exactly hiring and handing away jobs on the street. Mm. And I had a friend of mine who called me up um, one day and he had been doing real estate in Florida and in America. And he called me and said, hey, I wrote this real estate course, and we're going to sell it on the internet. And I remember going to him, and I was like, no, no, you're <laughs> going to sell your own course on the internet, right? Like, and uh, what ended up happening is I thought about it for a day or two, and I was like, well, you don't really have another source of income. What do you got to lose? Give it a shot. Mm-hmm. So I, I started myself in business then, and it's been a, a long, interesting 12-year journey uh, ever since. So it's like never a dull day in this
0: entrepreneurial journey. That's awesome and I think that's cool as well because they say that so many uh, great businesses were formed in times of hardship like the Great Depression and when we had the, I know they call it different things around the world but I was in England at the time and they called it the GFC over there um, around 08, 09 kind of time. So yeah, I think that's great because there are a lot of people in business in times where they isn't much struggle in the world and they still try and you know blame it on whatever whereas people who are as i see true entrepreneurs uh, will will succeed in any uh global circumstance or any personal circumstance as well
1: yeah and i think one of the things that's really really useful on that is just to recognize that know even when the economy is at their worst there's still people spending money there's still transactions being made it may be overall worse but there's there's always an overlooked opportunity yeah and so i remember when i connected with uh, marketing legend Jay abraham like one of the questions he asked himself over and over which is a really simple question which is where is the overlooked opportunity here and i find it like repeatedly ask yourself that the first time you won't really have an answer but if you ask yourself repeatedly you know a 100 times what am I missing here? Where's the overlooked opportunity? Eventually it'll present itself and you'll inevitably see that everybody else is doing it the same way. And there's this entirely unserved part of the market that really needs your help, wants your help, is willing to pay for your help. And it yeah. doesn't really matter what the economy is doing because regardless, it represents something of great value to them. And
2: yeah.
0: you, know,
1: you can build a bit you know, around um, what, what everybody else just isn't seeing.
0: Exactly. Exactly. It's exactly how I started in business. I found a gap in the market and I, and I solved it basically. So, yeah. And and that's cool. You mentioned Jay Abram because um, my first business coaches actually worked with him and, and learned from him. So yeah, that's cool. So how did you get into marketing then? Tell a bit about that story.
1: Well, that's kind of the, this is the crazy story though with this kind of spiritual side of my life and the very real World. I mean, I had, um, I guess it starts um, when I discovered something called ayahuasca and, you know, it's become a lot more mainstream, but for those of you who haven't heard it, it's basically known by Western standard as the world's most powerful hallucinogenic drug. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: by, um, you know, the native cultures, they believe it's like a healing medicine that directly brings you into the spirit world, afterlife, whatever you want to call it, and does healing through that. and i remember i was um i grew up both of my parents were alcoholics so i was very like anti-drugs and i remember mm. hearing about it and when i read about it right after i read these people who had lifelong depression cured from drinking at one time or blindness restored
2: mm.
1: or um one person had um um cancer cured that was another one and i was just like it it can't be this but I like I would read all these stories and I said okay I made up my mind I was like before I die I'm going to try this stuff Mm. and um so it was at that point I decided um which I don't ever recommend by the way but I decided to try it on my own um (laughs) I I can legally buy it because it's made of two ingredients a vine and a leaf and nothing happens if you take either independently but when you put them together
0: Uh, okay (laughs) yeah so
1: it was uh so um I did that and what, what, where really kind of my life took a turn um, for like a really, really big curveball was, so I tried it three times. And the first time I tried it um, was really, really small, was what the internet recommended. Nothing really happened. It just wasn't enough. So I added a bit more the next time. And I did it kind of very apprehensively because I had read all this crazy shit about it. And it wasn't until the third time that I had like a really, you know, ayahuasca experience. Okay. And so what was happening is I was sitting at home and I remember at the time of my life, um, you know, I just like was at a business roadblock that I just could not pass and I couldn't make sense of it. And it, later in hindsight, it was really, really simple. I see this all the time where people just build businesses they hate. And so it's like you can't get further because it's ultimately something that brings you pain and suffering and more, more misery and more people you don't like. But yeah, um, So for me, what happened is I remember I was looking to heal myself from this paradigm and I didn't really quite know what I was looking for. I just knew there was an answer. And I remember, so I drank this stuff. And I remember the first time I started just hallucinating my fucking ass off. There was, (laughs) it was interesting, but it wasn't mystical or profound by any means. It was just like, holy shit, everything's moving, right? Yeah. And I remember asking out loud, I said, where's my healing? Where's my mystical journey? Where's my blindness restored? When does something magical get to happen to me?
2: Mm. and
1: it answered me but it answered me in such a way that I just didn't expect it could so it was funny like in hindsight like you know the universe whatever you want to call it Mm. answers you uh, you know because I didn't think it could reply in that form I wasn't looking for it so what happened is my right arm just went straight up very mechanically and then it lunged down and grabbed this Kleenex box off the ground and then held it an inch from my face
2: Mm.
1: and um it was The only way I could describe As it, it was like as if it just took over my physical body. And I remember being a little freaked out, and I used my other free hand, pushed it away, and I said, whatever that was, do not do that again. <laughs> so I went and asked the same question, and I said, where's my, mis- where's my mystical experience? Where's my healing? And again, right arm went up, grabbed this Kleenex box, held it in for my face. Mm. So that happened five times, and the fifth time I decided, all right, I'll look at it. And so I held it far enough away that I could actually look into this Kleenex box, and I remember it had the words on it, it said, of dreams and inspirations. And the only way I could describe it is they start to like glimmer and become three-dimensional and they literally just floated off the page very slowly. And When they hit me, I became inspired.
2: Mm. And
1: so, I know it probably doesn't sound like much if, uh, if you're sober, but I remember just being totally inspired <laughs> staring at this Kleenex box, probably would have been arrested if I was in the general <laughs> public, but thankfully <laughs> <it> was, uh, <laughs> I was uh, at home alone. Yeah. And... Um, The Kleenex box had like a universe, like kind of galaxy outer space pattern Mm. and it started to become three-dimensional as well. And I remember just being inspired going, look, there's this whole Kleenex box or this universe in my Kleenex box, right? Which obviously, um, it was, you know, it was, it was certainly interesting. And what ended up happening though was what I didn't expect was how much the ayahuasca would change me later while I was sober and not drinking, really the next that my life really took a shift because what happened i remember i started seeing only what i can describe as blue butterfly synchronicities and again this would happen to me like i'm completely sober in the middle of the day mm-hmm. and i remember um somebody said hey like i'll give you a couple of examples of ones it just didn't matter where i went 15 to 20 times a day i would see the same synchronicity over and over mm-hmm. and i remember uh like somebody said, hey, there's this guy who lectures about psychedelics. Since you're brand new to this whole thing, you should listen to it. His name's Terence McKenna. So I go on YouTube. I like, go, all right, I'll watch one video. Of this guy, not planning to give him any more of my ear, and he's standing there giving a lecture, wearing a blue butterfly T-shirt. And it was <laughs> always like, you know, come with this kind of a warm vibration and feeling. I can remember uh, I was at the grocery store with my girlfriend. And she said, hey, can you grab a vegetable tray? And I was looking across the supermarket, so I didn't even notice when I grabbed it and put it in the cart and took it home that the veggie tray was a blue butterfly. Like it had in each of the wings there were carrots and tomatoes, and yeah. celery, and so forth. <laughs> and it just kept coming up every day, like it would be websites. I remember going on Amazon and a book caught my attention about life after death. I click on it, and the titles or the cover photo is a blue butterfly. Mm. And um, really, really I remember there there were two that really kind of freaked me out. One was a uh, I was like kind of deep into pornography to be quite honest with you that day. And I remember, you know, I was having a a moment alone. Let's just say that And the girl bent over in the video and she had a blue butterfly tramp stamp and I'm just like, (laughs) nowhere. the same symbol can find me.
2: So funny. The
1: most interesting one was actually the last time I did it uh, on my own. I did it six times on my own before I found my apprenticeship and really, what I noticed when I, when I did it is I, um, there was like a, a giant blue butterfly, is all I can explain it, that was made up of a bunch of other blue butterflies.
2: Mm.
1: And so I decided when I came down that I was going to just Google this. That was the only thing I knew as an internet nerd was like, blue butterfly, ayahuasca, maybe somebody else is seeing this shit. Maybe I'm not the only crazy one on earth. And yeah. there was a retreat in Peru called Blue Morpho Tours, and their symbol was the blue butterfly, and I was like, oh my God, it's like a real sign. like I should go down there. Yeah. And so I didn't have any immediate plans, but I had been running an SEO agency, and I just wasn't really enjoying it. I remember I said, well, why don't I sell something that's fun and interesting? And so I decided, like, hey, wouldn't it be cool to be, like, help people get more into this ayahuasca? So I reached out to them, and there was a whole big synchronicity because the master shaman who owns Blue Morpho Tours, uh, my personal... Uh, Master Shaman Hamilton. He um, he did a ceremony and he was like, "Spirits, bring me a marketing person because you've been working on all these projects <laughs> for like ten years, but he'd been trapped in the jungle, so cut off from Western society, he didn't yeah. know how to do it." And I show up and I'm like, uh, "Make this little video. I'd love to be your marketing guy. Can I help you guys out?" That's
0: so cool. So it all
1: kind of synchronistically led me in December 2012 when everybody said the world was supposed to end. I was drinking ayahuasca every day, and the world was kind of ending for me. Well, the
0: Mayan calendar, yeah, Yeah, yeah
1: and um, so yeah it brought me into this whole world and so to answer your original question how did I get into marketing well it kind of all shifted to me um, like literally like one day life was just really normal I was just a really normal guy and the next day it was like much more um, mystical and abstract and life was so much bigger than I thought it was mm. and I realized that you know there's different ways you can do marketing but i like um, one of the ways like I see a lot of people do it is if you could say the right sales copy words, you can kind of like manipulate somebody out of their money and get them to give you a $47 dollars ebook or even, you know, higher sales if you're really good at it. But I think really marketing is, is when it starts from the place of who would you really be inspired to work with and who really fires you up and then putting out the right message for the right reasons. And knowing full well that what you're doing is actually like helping and serving and benefiting them like 20 times more than whatever you're asking for. And so when you kind of start with that frame, that to me is, is how I look at marketing today or how it's evolved. And then just doing it very strategically in a way where it, it benefits everybody and creating these larger win-wins. And I think there's a lot of ways to do it, but I think for where I'm at now, at least, that's the, the best way I could describe doing it.
0: Definitely. And so what did, apart from connecting you with that shaman, what did the, did the blue butterfly symbolize anything else for you?
1: Well, yeah, it was actually like a symbol of my shamanic apprentice. I actually forgot to mention this in the last story. So at the time, like among all the weird synchronicities that were going on is um, Christmas holidays were around. My girlfriend brought me a Zelda game. It's this really nostalgic video game I played as a kid. And yeah. Oh my God, the version. So I just like literally cut off the world for like three days as I'm playing Zelda. Mm-hmm. And, um, which I haven't done since I'm like 20. I'm like, oh, my God, I get to play video games for three days. It was so yeah. exciting. I kind of forgot about that stuff in the entrepreneur lifestyle. <laughs> and, yeah, and so um, I was sitting um, playing uh, the game, and there were more blue butterflies just floating in a circle. They'd be in the meadows, and i go, here we go, more of this fucking blue butterfly shit.
2: Yeah.
1: And uh, the game's really normal. It's, you know, a guy with a sword and shield trying to rescue a princess, very stereotypical. About four hours into the game, though, it takes a, really interesting twist because you get knocked out and the princess gets kidnapped. And when you wake back up, there's a spirit over you. And the spirit's like, all right, Frankie, it's time to go. Mm. I got to explain some shit to you and I I don't have time to wait. Just follow me and don't ask questions. Mm. You're like, all right, follow the spirit and don't ask questions. And you end up in the game in this temple. And she goes, okay, I'm going to teach you the sacred healing song. And she teaches you it and you learn it. And then she goes, okay, now go back and play that where the blue butterflies gather. And so all of a sudden you go in the game and you sing you walk into a circle of blue butterflies and you sing this medicine song and they start to dance for you and one of three things happens in the game. Either they uh the game heals you fully, uh these stones pop out of the ground and give you like some wisdom that allows you to kind of go further in your quest. Mm. Or what literally happened to me is that you just they're gateway points and you leave your physical body and come back. Mm. And when you do that in the game um, the blue butterflies kind of take on a whole different meaning when they're gateway points where you leave and, you know, mm. access these other uh, worlds and dimensions, which is kind of my life post uh, 2012 has probably yeah. involved about 500 of those journeys. So it's it's a lot more normal than it used to be. That's yeah, for sure.
0: that's cool. Uh, you mentioned a few things just then about the symbolism and the stones and things like that. And it makes me think of a similar journey I went on a few months ago uh, with my boyfriend and we, we were going to do ayahuasca, but we ended up doing, it was from the toad. Uh, we did mm-hmm. cambo, and we did uh, 5-MeO-DMT as well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it was, it was full on experience, but it was on this beautiful ancient land uh, with yeah. a shaman and there were these rocks, these stone formation around in a circle, and we were doing it on the grass in the middle of these stones so it was, that just kind of brought that up for me when you were sharing that. And the reason I did it is because I'd had some massive life changes and I was just, I wanted to completely let go to be able to find myself in the next phase of my journey in my life. So I, I can definitely relate and, um, and know what you're talking about. And I also had a bad perception of drugs because in the past I was addicted to drugs when I was younger and Mm -hmm. so when I was younger it was an escape it was I wasn't loving myself I didn't want to be alone I wanted to be around people all the time I was I was trying to escape and be high basically whereas this isn't about getting high it's about it wasn't about escaping it was quite the opposite it was about finding myself at a deeper level and so I'm interested to know you having that similar perception beforehand of like, you know, alcohol and drugs and things like that because of your family, how did that change your perspective on drugs and on having that experience?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, there was definitely a point, um, you know, it it was very weird for me too because I had seen like all the – horrible sides of drugs, the family neglect, the destroying your body, the angry fights, and I, like that was a large part of my childhood of just seeing people uh, you know, even kill themselves with it, right? And so mm. I had this really kind of very strong, and I remember if, if you had actually told me, like if, if current me had met past me, I would have been judgy as fuck against him. I would have been. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, and it was really ayahuasca in particular that it was just like, it just sounded different than it everything else. Mm. And I never really thought about that there could be positive experiences to drugs. And I didn't realize, you know, like when we grew up, there's a whole propaganda campaign, you know, from government that all drugs are bad. And that's a whole, mm. you know, other, um, And what I realized when I went through it is that um, not only are not drugs, not all holistically bad, it depends on which drug, which setting and why you're doing it and what your real intention is behind doing
0: well, it. Intention is a key word, definitely.
1: What I realized is that there's, there's actually a really high level of person who does it, like you know, Steve Jobs famously not only did LSD, but he would tell his like, you know, senior staff, you guys just need to take a hit of acid and figure this shit out. <laughs> uh, Tim Ferriss, you know, it's a very minor part of how he presents himself, but has mentioned in there that he does this yeah. too. And, and just my own personal experience, I've been to a lot of like, really high-end conferences where I meet like, you know, amazing entrepreneurs and sometimes even like, famous actors and speakers. Mm. I don't know, just all kinds of cool people. And it's this hush-hush thing that's in, like, some of the real elites of the world are like, I do this thing, but I don't really talk, talk about it publicly. Mm. because nobody going understand. Yeah. And it, I suddenly realized that for the right person, it's actually a tool that can totally accelerate their consciousness, enable them to succeed faster, better, to remove more of the blocks, to show them perspectives they couldn't see. Mm. And, you know, this is at least my understanding of what I, I realize right now is, you know, my brother is a, a big stoner and has been his whole life, and he just has a saying. He's like, This is a stoner saying, of course, so that you gotta understand my brother's point of view, but it's um, God made weed and man made drugs, who are you gonna trust?
2: Right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> right? And there's actually some real wisdom in that, despite the fact that it's, you know, uh, which is, you know, that I, I started to realize most of the drugs that really destroyed people's lives and hurt them. And create addictions and harm. Mm -hmm. For the most part, are like man-made chemicals that are in the lab. And I found this out when I was in Peru. What I found out is the the leaf that they get cocaine from. That they actually use them in the whole form as a leaf, as part of shamanic rituals in a tea. And the whole leaf before it's been refined and been through a factory and 18 chemical experiments, it uh, it's not addictive. Yeah it's not crazy and i was like oh and I, it totally changed my perspective on that so well, they
0: use it for altitude don't they like they chew on it for yeah their- oh yeah
1: absolutely yeah yeah and it's funny actually you can tell too who the drug dealers are in there because it's like dirt floor hut dirt floor hut dirt floor yeah. hut three-story mansion with jet skis you know, <laughs> and yeah. that's funny yeah. so
0: you said that before you were kind of feeling stuck and weren't growing before you started going on this journey um and and interesting that you brought up pornography as well because i've talked to some clients it, it's really cool we're talking about some things that people wouldn't normally talk about openly so that really appreciate that i have had clients and friends and people i've spoken to that have um you know felt like they've used a lot of their creative energy or when their creative energy has been blocked they have watched too much porn in their words or they've yeah. also had other addictions or habits that are going on like binge watching Netflix, um, binge eating food, drinking too much alcohol. I, it's so common with entrepreneurs. So what were some of, some of the things that you found that you were maybe escaping into or procrastinating with um, because you weren't on purpose? And how did that show up for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a really interesting question is, I think for me, um, you know, like one of the perspectives I've since gained is, I realized that, and I think it's actually the same for most guys who are in that specific uh, particular bad bad habit, pornography specifically. I mean, you mentioned lots of other ones, but I just know that one uh, better than other ones. And usually it's, it's, despite what most people think from the outside looking in it, especially when you're an entrepreneur and you can do it whenever, it is not actually about like sexuality. It's usually like, you experience a large amount of stress and you just don't know how to deal with it. And it is one way that at least temporarily gives you relief. But the problem with it is it's kind of like fast food, right? It's like really good in the moment, but it actually, you know, has a negative long-term effect on your psyche and it distorts yes. sexuality. And I think it
0: can disconnect you as well.
1: And it can change. It can distort perspectives of women and mm, and so
0: yeah. forth.
1: And it's, um, instead of, you know, you know, seeing a woman as a goddess, you're like, I'd love to choke that bitch right there, right? Like, and it creates these crazy kind of thoughts that are not very loving. And what I realized for me personally, and I think this is true for a lot of the listeners as well, is that it was just that I didn't know how to deal with the stress in the moment. Mm. And when I thought about it, it was like, I just looked at, like, why am I so stressed out here? And if it didn't ultimately boil down to, I think a lot of people could relate, is I was just doing a lot of things I didn't really like. They were, like, kind of like necessary evils that I saw to get to the end result. And one of the perspectives he showed me is says, everything you hate about your business, somebody else loves and mm-hmm. would love to have your shit. And the things that you love doing, everyone else fucking hates. And they're yeah. happy to have you do it. And so there's a way where you can create synergy where it, it actually involves, um, you know, bringing together people and resources in a way that's actually really fun where everybody's doing what lights them up and inspires them. And Mm -hmm. even for those people who may not have the cash flow to do it, like there's a lot of strategic ways to do it using like joint ventures and, you know, partners or commission only deals where like it doesn't have to even cost you anything. It just has to, you have to, the creativity and the honesty to see that I don't really like doing this part and it stresses me out a lot. And you may even be like in many cases really good at it Mm. and it's just a part of the business that um, you just don't enjoy. And so, you know, it's kind of a, like, I'm good at it, but I hate it. So I, I, I have a really simple formula. It's like, do you love doing it? And are you really good at it? And if it's yes, then that's what you should be doing. And everything else, somebody else should be doing. So even yeah. the things you love, at, uh, you love doing or you're not good at them, somebody else. Or if you're really good at them, but don't love them, somebody else. Like,
0: yeah, that's cool. That's cool. And, and, and I think that requires letting go of control, trusting others, letting go of ego as well. I see so many entrepreneurs that are too much in the ego, not trusting others, trying to control everything, trying to do it all themselves. Um, or like you said, making the excuse or story that I don't have the cash yet. I'm not big enough yet. It's not the right time or whatever else. And uh, I, I did exactly what you said in the early days where I would have a client or a friend come and do some of my admin and babysit my kids and I'd swap them for things. And, you know, it's not ideal, but it was better than having no one to do that. And then as I grew, I was able to pay, you know, a, a better wage and things like that. Yeah, totally. Mm, yes. Yeah.
1: You know, actually makes me think of, you know, what I normally talk about, like, uh, in a lot of marketing conferences, obviously, the spiritual side of things and the drugs is a little more hush-hush, so usually I'm not paid to talk about those things. And yeah. one of the subjects I've spoken about for a long time, which is really for any service business, I mean, I work a lot with, like, coaches, consultants, experts, and agency owners, but if you, like, work with people, this is true of your business. And what I realize is there's basically, like, five stages, mm. and you don't have to go through them all, but, like, usually most people at least want to be one stage further. Mm. And the particularly interesting thing I learned about it is what brings you success in one stage is actually ultimately the thing that blocks you from passing it to the next stage. And you actually mentioned one of those stages there, which is why I bring it up. Mm. The the first stage is basically when you start out and it's just you. And that means you're like the janitor, you're the CEO, you're the marketer, you're the salesperson, you're the networker, you're the guy who's got to build the website. You're, you're everybody, right? Or she or her, right? Mm. And what ultimately you have to figure out in that stage to really um, get out of it is like, you got to figure out how to systematically get clients and until you do that. None of your other efforts will really get you anywhere because you won't really have a business until you do that.
2: Mm.
1: And then I see people transition to stage two. And what happens is they start growing enough where they're not, they're not out of the work entirely, but they're most, they're starting to hire people. And so they're doing a little bit of the hands-on, Mm-hmm. Work, but they're also like have a team, and what you mentioned, obviously, the number one challenge in that stage is just letting go. Mm-hmm. And I think the big reason people in that stage have a hard time letting go is is both like a mindset and like a marketing struggle, yeah. technically, because they don't know how to have really good people, right? Yeah. So so you don't trust them is because you're right; you shouldn't trust them. You're usually like you have probably somebody who's good enough to earn a paycheck, but not good enough that they're buying into your mission, and that you know they're not a true superstar at what they do. And,
0: at that level, the entrepreneur as well probably has a, a low level of self-worth, self-belief, confidence, and is not quite seeing themselves as a leader yet. So if you're not seeing yourself as that, then you attract in the wrong people who can walk all over you. And that that just then perpetuates the cycle. And you're like, oh, see, I knew I couldn't trust them.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah,
0: back it's, back.
1: It's, it's, like, it's, it's about letting go. And it kind of is in a way. But... I also feel like I understand why people in that stage can't let go because you have this thought and it's totally fucking true, which is nobody else does it as good as me. Mm. Um, and that really shifts when you start asking the questions like, well, who are the people who can do pieces as good as me? Cause nobody's yeah. going to be able to do the whole vision as well as you. So when you realize like for me, like I hate Facebook ads and I'm really good at running them, but there's people who love doing that and they can run them you know, as well or better than me. They may not be better at the whole business, but on the Facebook ads, um, They're really good at that and so yeah it's like that stage the only way to get out of that stage is once you figure out how to like really build a strong cohesive team and get everybody on the same page so it's really like a next level leadership and what i see is when people get to the third stage and eventually they stop doing work at all and they're just managing people but usually when you get into a manager there's all these crazy things like people are at you all day long just asking you questions hey you got a minute for this you got a minute for that you got a minute you got a minute you got a minute and they're just like hit you up all day long with and So you just interrupt all day long and you can't yeah. like focus on one thing. Yeah. And what I find when people in that stage is they're not very strategic. And what that means is they don't know what they're managing and why. And you kind of got to get really back to the basics of like, what are the business metrics? Of like, yeah. how many dollars did we spend? How many people did we get? How many of them are like happy with us? How many of them are referring their friends and family, right? And, and just paying attention to the right stuff allows you to then, strategically manage and then there's also you know tools and techniques for um you know defending your time because you almost have to at that point if you don't strategically mm-hmm. um you know you need to be able to a defend your time but also b get the questions answered that people need and the resources and help and there's ways to manage both of that and until yeah. you do that um, you don't get any further and then i, I, I can really the-
0: relate at that level um be- i was there last year and I'd grown my team from a couple of people to, I think, nine or ten. And I felt like every day was spent just managing people. And as an entrepreneur and creator and visionary, it's like, but I want to be brainstorming and doing big picture things. And like, this yeah. is not what I, was, what I got into business for. And yeah. so, well, I'm interested to see what you say next. But then what I did was put a general manager in place to manage all of those people so that I could yeah. then do the bigger picture things
1: absolutely and that's what you got to do um the only mistake i guess that people could make in that potentially is if, if you haven't figured out what you're managing correctly then you're just going to hire somebody to repeat what you're doing totally um so but yeah i mean that's once you get that under control it gets to the stage and it's this is my favorite stage and yours as well and i have I, you know i've only spent parts of my life there but it's the ceo stage where you don't have to be involved in any of the day-to-day and you just get to think big picture and creatively and marketing ideas and strategy and joint ventures and uh, somebody else takes care of all the delivery and it's really really fun because you get to do all the things that you love about the business the visionary work but the downside of it is that at that point things get really big and usually the quality of your brand starts slipping
2: mm. and
1: so like you have clients who are mad at you and they're like, where's this? And just a lot of little things that suddenly, and you know, you, everybody's worked somewhere where they're like, I've, you've heard the say is it's so political here. That's when that starts showing up in your business. Cause there's like little subgroups and cliques and departments. And they're like, Oh, Sally only got promoted. Cause she went with Larry and, party <laughs> and shit like that. right? <laughs> and, um, so it's really, really important. I think more than anything at that stage is, um, a business starts getting really good, and they start buying into their own hype. And it's really important at that stage to just like get back to the basics and figure out why you actually love your clients, what got you into the business in the first place, and get yeah. everyone to like buy into the mission. Because yeah. unless you have that big picture binding the thing together, mm-hmm. then you basically like have a caterpillar with like a hundred legs all running in different directions, and none of it really goes anywhere.
2: Totally. And so you gotta like
1: put them all on the same page. And then the last stage, which I don't think most entrepreneurs listening to this will ever get there, or even want to get there. Uh, but it just helps to know what it is 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 that's when you've mastered it to the point where you're now franchising and you're copying your business model from location to location Mm. and honestly i have no idea what you do in that stage i know a few people (laughs) doing it they just they live a rapper life seems pretty cool but i couldn't (laughs) tell you what the day-to-day challenges are for somebody in that stage
0: yeah yeah
1: i do know that uh, from having spoken with them a big challenge that shows up in that stage is just the amount of opportunities they get presented like pretty much every 30 seconds mm is like absurdly overwhelming and they they don't even know how to decide what to say yes to anymore
0: yeah well i guess it would then be like the people that are on shark tank you know like damon john and um uh, yeah, and, and those kinds of people would be at that yeah. level yeah richard branson as well like yeah <laughs> um I, yeah that's, that's Really, really valuable information. I, I'm sure people listening to this will take a lot of notes on that section. Um, That's yeah. really cool. And it's quite similar to something I learned last year, but I, I love the way you put it uh, from one of my mentors, actually. So that was really cool. Uh, the second last stage that you mentioned as well, I think from a mindset and a strategy perspective. So, from a mindset perspective, if, if they're at that CEO stage and the, their headspace isn't, isn't in the right place, They can feel guilty for not being in the business all the time, not running the day to day, feeling like they're not doing enough. Um, If you have a hustle mentality or um, I know for me, my dad always worked really, really hard um, ever since I was a kid and still does. And I got so many positives from that. But I also got a few negatives where I was just hustling all the time and pushing and wouldn't stop and burning myself out and once i healed that i realized i didn't have to work all the time but for someone who's still in that place they could have this identity crisis at that level because they would have thrown their whole identity and purpose into their business um and from a strategic yeah. you, by the way
1: so. they usually do there's usually like uh they they i've i've even heard a few of them say they work 5 10 hours a week just because uh they feel like they should
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> It's crazy, hey, <laughs> and and then the other part from a strategic perspective that you mentioned uh, is if you if you pull if you pull yourself away from the business too fast. This is what I found in my experience. Um, your clients then can start bitching and there can be this whole thing of like, oh, well, she or he doesn't care about us anymore. Whereas if you kind of pull yourself back slowly and strategically, you actually, and, and put the right people in place, like you said, um, that'll kind of really run smoothly and you don't have that, that drama happen.
1: Yeah, there's, I've, I've learned some really cool stuff from people like that where it's, a lot of it is really just like um, the system. So like you mentioned, it's, it's usually a mentality shift because in stage one, when you're the solo and you're making the business work or whatever your business is or however you make money, if you don't hustle, there is no business. And yeah. so like I hear Gary Vanderchuk telling these people, you gotta hustle, man, work 15 hours a day. And he's kind of right, mm. but he starts becoming wrong when you go into stage two, right? Because I see a lot of kind of entrepreneurs who never get out of that stage, but once you start getting into hiring people. Mm-hmm. What happens is if you try and do everything yourself, you'll find that there's not enough time and you'll actually burn yourself out and less will get done for the people you're trying to serve. And so you've got to think through people and getting things done through resources. And if you don't, yeah. you simply won't get past it because there's too much. And so I see a lot of people, especially in my niche, is usually the first stage, they'll make to up to like 20,000 a month from that. Um, sometimes I'll see people go to Maybe fifty thousand, sometimes a hundred in the second stage, like a monthly income. Yeah. Um, and you won't go past that because there's only so much you to go around. You don't have time for everything. You have to like leverage other people to get a lot done, but uh, without you doing it. And then when you get in the managerial stage, it's a hustle in the beginning, but it's a different kind of hustle because it's not mm-hmm. you doing. Shit. It's people yeah. fucking bring it all day yeah. long, and you have to like really learn to be able to help them get what they need but also to like i said to like really set boundaries and timelines on your time so that you can do the creative work and figure out what's important because otherwise what will happen is people will bring you ten thousand things that are immediately important to them but actually have no you know result or benefit towards your long-term vision mm. and so i see this all the time where you know like i just had a employee this morning because i'm kind of going through that stage again in a, my current venture and you know they're like We need to upgrade our LinkedIn account and spend eighty dollars a month, blah blah blah. We need more leads. And I'm like, (laughs) chill out a second. I know that's important to you, but like if if I wait till tomorrow to do that, I promise you shit's not gonna fall apart.
0: Yeah. Yeah, cool. That's awesome. So how do you find that uh tying back into the spiritual side of things and your journey on that side? How do you and I know you've mentioned some of this already, but I want to go deeper. How do you find that that experience and really tapping into uh your spiritual side and your purpose has helped you in business not only grow your business but be i guess a leader and an entrepreneur?
1: Well, you know I mean I'm still figuring out the answer to that question, so I can just <laughs> tell you I'm at right now because yeah. I think a lifelong question you're asking uh-huh, of course um yeah, I mean, what I realized, one of my mentors, um, he actually went through these uh, five stages building a law firm. That's where I really first learned I mean, him. It was really interesting is the first time he did it, he did all the mistakes, all the stages, all the long ways of doing it, figured everything else out himself, and was stressed, almost went bankrupt twice. Um, even when he was making like 300000 a month, he was upside down on his cash flow, was borrowing Peter to pay Paul and thought he would go out of business. Mm-hmm. and the stress to the nines put on you know 200 pounds almost he got like really yeah. really big and you know was smoking and drinking and was not doing well with it but he eventually had like a really high earning eight-figure law practice and it took him 20 years to do it long hours and was stressed and he didn't see a lot of his family mm-hmm. when he figured this out uh, the second time what he did was it took him a year and a half he worked five to ten hours a week he went golfing and fishing and he spent all the time with his family and spoiled them, took care of them, and was making up for all the lost time, and lost a whole bunch of weight, and is like a whole bunch healthier. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, if once you understand the stages, you can either do the business in a year and a half, or you can do it 20 years with like every fucking possible landmine and headache yeah. uh, tripping along the way. And one of the things he told me, he says, you know, when you're in the beginning stage where it's just you, or you're in the second stage, and it's you and a couple other people, you don't know it, but the actual most important single thing in your business is your mission and purpose and the reason why you're in business mm. because what I've learned is that if your business exists solely to serve you as and to make money eventually once it starts to make money to make money your motivation will go with it yes. and you will start to sabotage the business so I see people who uh, build businesses that are going to be out of business in six or twelve months that aren't gonna sustain itself because they don't really have a reason to be doing it mm. and the other reason why that's the mission and the purpose is so important because even if you just like hire somebody on Fiverr to make a logo you know, the more you can explain to them what you're doing, why you're doing it, and how this fits into the overall big picture. Mm. um, One, you'll do it much more strategically and efficiently. And two, you'll get people to actually buy in on you and what you're about and why you're doing it. And so the whole thing moves faster and more strategically. And, you know, we talk about, um, you know, mission and purpose a lot in like the kind of spiritual side of life, but it wasn't really till I realized it was the same thing in business. And you had to have like a, deeper reason why and what i find like the many times the best reason why is because you know most of the people in this world that i know simply they went through some hardship and it took them a long time to figure some shit out and they if they could they would love somebody else to not have to repeat all their mistakes because they know knowing what they know now how much easier it could be the second time And so it doesn't have to be this like we're trying to save the world and create 1 million jobs, Steve Jobs vision. You know, what I find the most real and raw answer for most people is just, Hey, these are the people that are a lot like me and I empathize with them so deeply because I've been exactly where they are. Yeah. And so if I can help them just get out of here and have more fun more enjoyment and make more money and have more free time and see more places, know more cool people, more have more experiences.
2: Mm. That to me
1: is very, very purposeful. And so it's, it seems like one of those things that people skip because, you know, usually when you're in the beginning, first two stages, you're constantly in this kind of perpetual scarcity survival mode where you got to like make enough money to keep the thing afloat. And if you don't just take some time back and figure that out, it'll never actually become afloat. And so it's one of those things where I feel those two worlds merge. Once you start to really talk about the most important question is like, why are you doing this? Uh, why not do it? you know, why should you do it? Why do it now? Why do it for these people? And until you have like really good, rock solid answers to those questions, I don't think uh, whatever you're building is, is really going to be around in 10 years. So yeah. I don't know, I think they really are the same world to me. Yeah,
0: that's great. I love that. I love that. So, I'm interested to know what's your mission then in business?
1: Well, I actually got it written down, but I mean, more than anything, I think the backbone of what I want to do is is my mission is to really to raise consciousness of people so that the businesses they create enable them and their family to have more freedom, mm. to do it in a loving way where they're enjoying what they're doing, they're having fun, that what they do is a daily inspiration, and the people they work with, they would practically do it for free anyway, and it's amazing to think, holy shit, I get paid to do this. Yeah. Um, and so, so it's really like, to me, it's like having a business that – serves everyone not just you so that means it benefits your family Mm. Uh, because i think most people that i know anyway that got into entrepreneurship um you know there's the elon musk of the world who are like saving the world but most of us just really you know wanted to build a better life for ourselves and our family and i think like you know i'm sure you can relate when you used to work a job like my day started
0: yeah that's exactly why i started my first business Yeah.
1: yeah And for me, like, I can just remember, like, one of the cool benefits that, like, being an entrepreneur brings is, like, when when I had a job, I woke up every day. And that was, like, the first thing in my day. It was like, fuck, all right? (laughs) And so you start your day, and then you're rushing out the door, and you're just like, fuck, I shouldn't have slept those extra, I shouldn't have hit snooze three times. And then you're freaking out the door, and you're running for somebody else, and it's, like, it's not an enjoyable experience. For real, my girlfriend and I, we made it a deal that like we work when we want to. So we spend our morning time uh, a lot of times, quite honestly, naked in bed, cuddling each other. And we're just really blessed that we can do that.
0: Yeah, I I don't set alarms anymore, yeah.
1: Yeah, why would you do that? So it's like so many like little fringe benefits for everybody when you buy into this, like raising consciousness and having a reason why. And Mm. and ultimately, you know, the biggest reason is you, as a business owner, it's gonna benefit you more than anyone else to to love what you're doing to work as little as or as much as you want and I, everybody starts with that dream but I find when you get in the trenches you know it just you can lose sight of it really really quickly
0: yeah and people so become I, a slave to their business when they what they wanted was freedom but they get in that hustle mentality and like you said they they need to hustle in the beginning but then they don't graduate from that so it everything that you've just said really pieces together it's perfect yeah awesome um, well, yeah, it's been great having you on. I, there's a lot of value in there for everyone listening. Uh, I already know. Uh, I want to know where can people find you, follow you online and, um, yeah.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, what I actually, um, uh, recently created is I, I got really obsessed with this idea because, uh, a lot of my just coaching consultant agency owner friends, I noticed the common trends with the people mostly in stage one and stage two, which is, they worked really fucking hard. They were really burnt out. And they weren't always loving what they were doing. And because of it, I, sh- I saw a lot of cash flow issues showing up. And it surprised me the first time I went through that, where you could get to like $50,000 a month and be more afraid of losing it than you were when you had $50 in the bank, right? Yeah. Because now you got to feed 10 other people whose paycheck yep. all depends on you, right?
0: That was me last <laughs> year.
1: Yeah, exactly. And you know how stressful that is. And I realized that what I wanted to create for them was something so that uh, they could make more money easily because I thought like the having people that like where the money isn't you know, where you don't have to sell them and you don't have to persuade them where they're already kind of they know you and they like you and they trust you
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah, as well as to increase the amount of money they earn from each individual transaction. So that like literally people would get bigger paychecks
2: mm-hmm.
1: as well as to do that continuously. So I didn't want it to be like a one hit wonder where you get a big paycheck, but then you're back to the grind three days later. It had to be a system that could be. Uh, And then I realized most people that I knew were just 100% dependent on one source of income. So whether they got really good at Facebook ads or a Facebook group or LinkedIn or SEO, usually they had one way of getting business, and there's always fluctuation in that. So I hear people all the time say, like, I do coaching. I had 10 breakthrough sessions last week every day. I got two the whole week. What the fuck am I doing, right? Yeah. so these rounds just create all this crazy uncertainty. So what I wanted to create was really a system to – like i said to get it more easily to do it in bigger amounts to do that more often and to do that predictably and i started asking questions from my experience like where have i seen that and the simple answer was just referral systems and i noticed people spend all this energy on like facebook ads and things like that and they don't think to add a back-end referral system and so they just like mm. all this money and then they also don't know how to strategically create referrals from like colleagues and from influencers and so because of it They're literally riding the waves of Facebook up and down, or riding the waves of Google rankings up and down, and it's it's so stressful. And I'm like, it it didn't need to be there. And so, what I've created is uh, a way where people can add three to five referral sources for a high ticket business, and I usually, typically, I mean, obviously, it depends a little bit on your business model, but in my experience, adds an extra 150000 to 250000 and brings with it a whole bunch of stability, because referrals are just easy people, and referrals create more referrals, so it starts to perpetuate into itself, mm. and so they can learn more about that at WinWithFin, my last name, F-I-H-N,
2: yeah. uh,
1: winwithfinn.life, L-I-F-E,
2: Awesome. and I'll as well, you, anyway. Very, yeah. uh,
1: I've got a little checklist you can check out and that'll show you like basically everything you need to know to get a crash course and how to do that so that you're not awesome. holding dependent on Facebook ads or, or Google. And, um, and, and, you know, like I said, my purpose in doing that is just, I know what that struggle is like and I don't think it's necessary. So, um, as well, if you're interested in the shamanic side of things, obviously, you know, legality reasons, I don't really advertise that, publicly but you can find me on facebook and if you'd like to talk about it, just tell me uh what you're interested in, what resonated with you so that you can just do that frankie um finn again f-i-h-m yeah awesome
0: cool thank you so much been great chatting yeah. with you lots of um value and knowledge there and great conversation so thank you
1: hey, i'm glad we have fun yeah <laughs>